Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This week is Parshas Bai, and we're continuing with the Halachas of Hadlakas Neris. This is part four. So this week we're going to discuss how to light candles when either you or your husband are away from home, and also when both of you are away from home, but we won't get to all the details of that until next week. <clears throat> so now, if your husband is away from home, or you are away from home, and either you or he are lighting candles at home, right? So whoever has stayed home is lighting candles at home, like normal. So now the question is, the person who's away from home, do they have to light candles for Shabbos as well? And believe it or not, this depends. If the person who's away from home, either you or your husband, are staying in a hotel room or something comparable, which means you have a room that's totally yours for Shabbos, then whoever's there in that hotel room is obligated to light Shabbos candles in their room, in the room that, that they're obligated, that they're, that's theirs. That's where their obligation to light Shabbos candles is. If whoever it is is away from Shabbos, away for Shabbos and the one remaining at home is lighting candles, but the person away doesn't have a hotel room, right? So the, the husband or wife who is away for Shabbos is a guest a guest by a family, and you're staying in a regular guest room. So then, believe it or not, you're not obligated to light Nehru's Shabbos. And the reason is because you are essentially, you'd say, your obligation with whomever, whomever is lighting at home, and because that's your primary dwelling, and the place where you currently are isn't really yours, and the room you're in is really covered by the owner of the house's hadlaka, because they're responsible for all the rooms in their house, and their Hadlaka's Nairis covers their whole house, the same way when you light Nairis in your house, it covers your whole house. So it's only if you have your own room, like by a hotel room, you know, where it's really your room, so then you have an obligation to light. But if someone's lighting at home, and you don't have your own room, you're really not obligated to light. Now this may very, sound very strange for a woman who is away. So I just had this situation where my wife was in Israel, and I obviously lit candles in my house. And she was a guest by someone in Israel. So she, she lit candles. But technically she wasn't obligated to because she was really out with me. Nevertheless, being that the time zone of Israel is earlier than ours, so she lit before I did, so she wasn't yet yet with me. And therefore she was able to light. She wanted to light, she could light. The proper place to light in that situation where she did was in the bedroom that she was sleeping in because that's, that's, your, that's the only thing that has something to do with you. In the dining room, there would be certainly no obligation to light. And interestingly, this holds true for all members of the household. If a child who's over bar mitzvah or bas mitzvah is away for Shabbat, so that child, when she's home or he's home, is yaitzah with her, his parents or her parents. But if she's away and she's in a hotel room or some kind of room all, all by herself with a friend, they're obligated to light Shabbat candles where they are. Now, if they're only guests in a guest room, again, they can be yaitze with your lighting at home. But if they have a what's known as a cheder miyuchad, they have a, a room which is ta- which is actually their room, then they're obligated to light candles. Now, this is all applicable when someone from the family is lighting at home. What happens when no one is home? Let's say, for example, everybody left for Shabbos. No one is in the house and maybe you didn't go to the same place. So let's say you went one place for Shabbos and your husband went somewhere else. 
So you're both obligated to light candles regardless of if you have your own room or a guest room because no one's lighting at home. Once no one's lighting at home, so then you have no luck at Neris covering you. So wherever you are, regardless, you are, you're obligated to light um, Neris Shabbos. And this would apply to child as well, right? When you're away from home, the child's away from home and they're guests. So they're also obligated to light Neris. So we'll talk through a situation just to clarify this in a moment. Now, typically, when you're a guest by someone, you eat by them as well. So if you eat by someone, you actually can be yaitza with their hadlakas nares. Once you're eating by them, you don't really need to do a hadlakas nares. You could just be yaitza with them. But if you're eating someone else, you're not. So let's, let's, let's give you an a, um, application of this halacha just so it's clear how this works. If, for example, uh, a husband and wife go away for Shabbos to a bar mitzvah, and the children are at home, and a child who's over bar mitzvah or bas mitzvah is lighting the candles at home. So that's fine. They're all yaitse, and the husband and wife technically depends where they are. If they're, if they're in a hotel room, they're ob- obviously obligated to light. If they are not, if they're just in a guest room by someone, then really they're yaitse with their children's hadlaka in their house. But they could, and they will light, their, light a hadlaka, but the hadlaka that they do, they should do in their hotel room or in their guest room. Now, if, let's say, no one is home, right, you went away for a Sheva Brachas, and uh, your children went, got farmed out to different people, so no one is home. So then everybody who is over in Bas- over Barabra Mitzvah, who is away from home, is obligated to light candles. So you and your husband, who are by a guest by someone or in a hotel room, are going to be lighting candles, and your children, who are over Barabra Mitzvah or Bas Mitzvah, are also obligated to light candles, but probably wherever they are, they're going to be eating there as well. So since they're going to be eating there, so that's why they don't have to light candles because they're absolved by the, by the owner of the house because they're eating a meal together with him. It's called Samochal Shulchanai, so they're part of his hadlaka, and that's great. But the place where it gets a little interesting is, let's say you go away for a Sheva Brachas, you and your family, and you're not all staying in the same place. So let's say you're staying with some of your children by one person, but there wasn't room for all of your children. So some, another child is staying with someone else. And no one's eating because everybody's eating by the Sheva Brachas, right? So you went away for a Sheva Brachas, you went away for a Bar Mitzvah, you're staying, you got put into different houses, and your children aren't all, aren't all together with you. And then you're all going to be eating in the shul or the hall where the, where the Bar Mitzvah or Sheva Brachas is. So now you're going to light where you're sleeping. But what about your child? How is your child going to be yaitza hadlaka? The child who's in a different house can't be yaitza with you because they're not in your, you're not home and they're not with you and they're not staying where you are. They can't be yaitza with the hadlaka of the person who has the house because they're not eating there. So they're not really part of that household. So how are they yaitza? They really need to find a way to be yaitza. So the answer is that in that situation, the child who's staying by that other person needs to do what's called be mishtatev. They have to become partners in that hadlaka, and the way to do that is to give some money to the owner of the household, to be buy, so to speak, a little bit of the nearest, to give a, you know, give a dime, so that you're part of, of that hadlaka's nearest. This is a fascinating halacha. So basically, the bottom, what we're explaining is as follows. If you're away for Shabbos and you have a hotel room, then you're for sure obligated to light. It doesn't make a difference who or what or when. If you're in a guest room, then it depends. If someone is home and lighting, you're absolved from lighting. You can if you want. Just you know, have to have a mind not to be yaitza with the person who's lighting for you at home, and you should light in your room. But let's say no one's home, then you're obligated even if you're just a guest. And then that applies to children as well who are away from home, and if they have their own room, they have to light. If they're guests, 
so then they could rely on your hadlaka at home. But if you're not home also, so then they have an obligation, which they have to take care of, and you have to take care of. So you could take care of it by, with hadlaka, and they could take care of it with hadlaka, or they could take care of it by giving some money to be part of the hadlaka of the household that they're in. This uh, in Parshas Bai, the Ramban, in the end of this week's Parsha, is a world-famous Ramban, which, one which we have um, addressed in the past. But it's such a fundamental Ramban, which covers so many core aspects of Amuna, it's worthwhile to review again and again, and continue to try to delve into the amazing words. The Ramban begins by explaining why we have so many mitzvahs, which are Zechel Yitzhak to remind us, of the exodus from Mitzrayim, from Egypt. There's mezuzah, there's Shema, which we say twice a day, Tzulun, that men wear sukkahs and Pesach, and all their associated mitzvahs, of course. So why so many? So Ramban explains that there were three different forms of idolatry or kfira, atheism, agnosticism, that began from the time of Enosh, third generation after Adam Rishon. And these are all prevalent in some form today as well. The first category are people who don't believe in a creator at all. They believe the world always existed without any explanation, or today's variant on that is that the world formed on its own without any God at all. Evolutionists believe today. That's the first category. No God. The second group believed in Hashem's existence. They believed in a creation. They believed that Hashem created the world, but they couldn't believe that he is possibly interested in what happens on this world. How could a being so exalted have any interest in tiny little ants? And the difference between us and ants isn't even a comparison between the difference in us and Hashem. So this group has an understanding of God, just a bad understanding of Hashem. They're right from a logical standpoint, from the way things at least work on this world, that it doesn't make sense that a god should care about what happens here. But that's because they had the idolaters' view of a god. They had gods who were selfish, had human-like emotions and vices, and kind of were just interested in their own thing. And if that's your view of a god, then yeah, they have a very good question. But Hashem is not human at all, and nothing human at all about him. And therefore this reasoning simply doesn't apply. The last group agrees that Hashem is aware of all that happens, but clearly doesn't get involved and isn't mashkiach b'pratiyah, doesn't manipulate and influence the world. Because how else do you explain all the evil things that happen in this world? Clearly Hashem abandoned the world to chance, to laws of nature. Big fish eat little fish, bigger fish eat them, without God getting involved. Humankind, no different. So now this group doesn't necessarily have a logical argument why Hashem would do a thing like that, they're simply mystified by the way the world runs. And that's an age-old question. So Ramad explains that when Hashem performed the miracle for one person, as in the case of the Avis, or for a group of people, Kali Yisrael by Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, He demolishes every single one of these questionable opinions of these fakists. He demonstrates that, number one, there is indeed a creator who is in complete control of his world. And Hashem demonstrates that he's fully aware of what's going on, and he cares. And he takes an active role in every aspect of the world, which is Hashgach HaPratit. Now, in truth, once we understand that Hashem created the world from a a logical standpoint, it stands to reason that there was a point to that creation. 
simply creating it and abandoning it is, is just ridiculous. And judging from all the good and kindness that Hashem inserted into the world, all the reasons for joy and happiness and pleasure that Hashem created, clearly Hashem means to be kind and merciful to us, which is what Avram Avinu observed in this world. So thus, all aspects of Kfirah are effectively refuted logically, simply by acknowledging Hashem created the world. Nevertheless, through Yitzhak Mitzrayim, every single aspect of Hashem's godliness, His kindness, His Ashkach Patis, His knowledge of what's going on, His existence, it was all revealed and displayed openly, and it, it demolished all questions. But the Ramban explains that a fourth and most important concept was demonstrated as well, which took it the, the existence of Hashem to a whole new level. Hashem communicated with Moshe and told him what was going to happen. So we see that not only does Hashem know and ha- what happens and guides the world, He actually communicates with men. There's a relationship between Hashem and His people. That's the truth of Nevoah. And this is the foundation of the whole Torah, which was given us through Nevoah. And this extre- demonstrates Number one, the extreme godliness that a person can achieve. He can communicate, communicate with Hashem. Is it possible to wrap our heads around that concept? Have we ever tried to truly envision what it means to talk to Hashem himself as one talks to a friend? And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu did. And that also demonstrated the, a whole new madrig, a whole new level of what it meant that Hashem is involved with the world. He communicates with us. And lastly, says the Ramban, this demonstrates the truth of punishment and reward. Hashem manipulates what's going on, and he demonstrated by Yitzhak Mitzrayim that evil people get punished, they perish, and, and good people are rewarded. And that set, the, that set the stage, it paved the way for the foundation of Amunah that there's a reason for every single event that takes place in the world. It's either an Einish or a Schar, a direct interaction of Hashem with us. Hashem hides himself. But this is the foundation of Amuna that we believe Hashem is always doing what is just, always doing what is good and fair, although we don't understand it. Now, the Ramban explains that Hashem can't make a demonstration every generation in front of every atheist in Kaifa. Now, why? Why can't he? Ramban doesn't say, but it's obvious. If there would be such an open display of godliness, what would be the whole point of this world? The whole purpose of this world is for Hashem to hide himself and for us to discover Hashem on our own so to achieve the eternal reward for doing so that we can earn our reward on our own. So it's our responsibility to pass on the history of the miracles that were done by Etias Mitzrayim to our children and grandchildren as it was taught to us by our fathers and grandfathers so that we can reinforce our belief in Tyra and all the mitzvahs. He writes that if you put a mezuzah on your door, and you think about what it says there. Now, that's a very important condition, actually thinking about what it says in a mezuzah, something we really do. You have already accepted the truth of creation, Ashgach Pratis, prophecy, all parts of the Torah, besides that you have acknowledged that Hashem bestowed great kindness on us by taking us out of Mitzrayim. There was a great tzaddik in Tzaddikis named Avnassin and Rebetzin Kuperstock, who lived in Yerushalayim in Bate Breida, I was lucky to visit them once. When, when you walked into the neighborhood of Bate Breida, it was like this closed courtyard surrounded by two levels of apartments. It's as if you just transported back a hundred years at least. They lived, and everybody there lived in total simplicity and poverty. But people came from all over the world to visit the Tzaddikim who lived there, unfortunately, mostly in the next world now. 
Now, one suggestion Rabbi Kuperstak and his wife would often make was people who needed a Yeshua, they needed, they needed divine help, was when walking into your house, put your hand on the mezuzah. Think of what it represents and daven to Hashem what you need. And I have a friend in Los Angeles who was very close to them, and he gave over this suggestion to many people, and he testifies that without fail, they were helped. So thus far, the Ramban has demonstrated how Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim clarified about half of the Yud Gimel Ikram, the 13 principles of faith. We see that Hashem knows all that happens and that there is reward and punishment, the truth of prophecy, Hashem is one and uncompromised, and so on. And the remainder of the principles were demonstrated by Matan Terah. The Ramban then says a fascinating thing, which much has been written about. He writes, that this is our belief, and we therefore have the Torah. But what is the point of all the mitzvahs? The point is that we should believe in Hashem and recognize Him for creating us and praise Him for creating us and giving us the opportunity to serve Him. We have no other explanation in the creation of the world other than Hashem wanted to give us the ability to know Him. And that, he writes, is the importance of davening with a raised voice. So let's think about this for a minute. We know that there are life forms on this world that are much simpler than us. A horse has simple life. It eats grass and it gets ridden around and that's about it. That's just about its life. It doesn't get depressed, frustrated. It, it doesn't think and it's happy. But we wouldn't give up being human, right? Children have a simpler existence, but much more carefree, but we don't want to revert to being children. Knowledge and wisdom is the greatest gift. It gives us the most satisfaction, the most sense of completion, of, of point. And the greatest knowledge and wisdom a person can possibly achieve is the knowledge of Hashem and the recognition of His greatness. That's the point of this world, that most happiest and content people that exist are the tzaddikim who immerse themselves in Torah and Tzila. Hashem offered us the greatest kindness possible by creating us and enabling us to perceive and connect to Him, and that's what the mitzvahs are for, to give us that opportunity to find ways for us to serve Him, to recognize Him, to know Him, and to connect to Him. And it all ties back to what Hashem was trying to accomplish with Yitzhak Mitzrayim, to demonstrate the truth of His existence and to demonstrate the point of our existence. And that's why we have so many mitzvahs that reiterate and strengthen our belief in Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Have a good Shabbos and a good night.